Good morning. Today, we start Sefer Yoel, the book of Joel. And before we dive into chapter one, our chapter today, let's start with a brief introduction. We'll take a look at a high-level view of how Sefer Yoel is structured. The book of Joel, Sefer Yoel, as we know, is the second book in Treasar. And as Rabbi Joe and others have mentioned on previous recordings, that these books share two things in common. Number one, we have prophecies whose audience is the nation, is the people, not necessarily directed towards the king or a leader. And number two is that these prophecies are delivered in a poetic form. And if we look at Sefer Yoel and the structure of the four prakim, we can split them easily into two. Number one is we have the prophecy that's revealed today of what goes on with the locust, the impact, the response, and then the promise of years of good produce that follow. And then there's a second story, starting in Parak Gimel. And that is a day of judgment against the nations that brought destruction on Israel and the years of security that follow thereafter. And naturally, we can split these stories into two. There's a very natural split for it, starting in the third parak, that says, Vayihi Ken, meaning we have story one, and then Vayihi Ken, we have story two. These are two seemingly different stories. However, as we will see in the text, the language that is used in story one and story two have a lot of parallel structures, a lot of parallel language or mirroring language that calls into question whether these two stories are actually more related than we think. Is the story of the locust simply a mashal, a metaphor for the story of the day of judgment against the nations? Or the opposite, is the day of judgment a mashal for the story of the locust? Or perhaps they're both two distinct stories that actually follow one another, as the Pshutom Shel Mikra, the simplest reading of the text would suggest, with the words, Vayhi Achreken. Now, in any good introduction to a book, not only would we discuss the high-level structure, but we'd also cover the historical context of the book. This is not a good introduction. Why? Let's dive into our chapter and see if we can gain a deeper understanding to the historical context of Sefer Yoel. Pasuk Aleph, we have a very standard opening. Davar Hashem asher haya el Yoel ben Pituel. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Tuel. Now, I use the word standard because we've seen this Lashon before. We've seen this language, this introduction. If we go back to Hosea, we just read, and we'll, get, we'll see it again with Micha and Tzifania, we just read the same intro. Let's go to Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Devar Hashem asher hayat. El Hosea ben Be'eri. Except here, the Pasuk continues. 
בימי עוזיה, יותם, אחז, יחזקיה, and so on and so forth. So what's the difference? In our chapter, we're given no context in terms of when or where the story took place. And if we recall, one of the other points that Rabbi Joe mentioned in the introduction to Treyasar is that these books are not necessarily in any chronological order. Here we're given no context. Who is this Yoel ben Betuel who is mentioned only once in Tanakh? What we might suggest, as the Gemara in Megillah tells us, is when we have a Navi whose name is mentioned but a city is not mentioned, we can assume that this Navi lived in Jerusalem. And second, if we have a Navi whose name of his father is mentioned, we can assume that the father was also a Navi. But here we have, spanning from the time of Shmuel Navi through Ezra and Nehemiah, 13 different individuals with the name Yoel. And which one of them is our Yoel? Or is this an individual who only existed in our specific story? This is a mystery that many discuss. Rashi suggested it was the Yoel, who's the eldest son of the Navi Shmuel, which would place our book right all the way at the front, right after the book of Shmuel. There are those that say that it was a Yoel who lived at the time of the King Menashe, or a Yoel that lived during the construction of the Second Temple. This mystery is reviewed and discussed at length. So who is Yoel? We don't know. The text didn't feel it was particularly important. But let's hold that question. Let's talk about chapter one. What we see in our text are really two steps. Step number one comes the Navio L and says, wake up. There is a severe attack of locusts destroying the land. How severe? Pasuk Bet and Gimel make that pretty clear. Listen to this, O elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything of it like this happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. And let their children tell theirs, and the children to the next generations. This is an economic calamity of unprecedented magnitude. And it reminds us of Sefer Shmot. This is something worth writing home about. It's so severe, because we know from the Parsha, from the Makkah with the locust in Mitzrayim, that there it also said there was nothing like it before and nothing like it after. Here we have a situation we're dealing with an economic crisis, and the implications of that crisis are severe. We see this chain of whatever has been left in the field, yet there are gazam, the locust devour, and what the locusts have left over, the grub has devoured. And what the grub has left, the hopper has devoured. There's this impact, this chain reaction 
that's affecting the entire supply chain of industry. And we say in Pasuke, you drunkards, wake up. You don't even have wine to drink because of this attack. And then again in Tet, we say to the Kohanim, you have no work because there's no offerings to, the, to, to Hashem. Nobody is bringing any produce. And what Yoel does is he continues to demonstrate this cause and effect connecting the land and the impact the locusts are having on the land to the people. The Kohanim have mourned. The land is mourning. The wine is dried up. The farmers are dismayed. The trees have dried up. And, and so has simcha, so has happiness amongst people. What is Yoel saying? He's saying, guys, wake up, reality check. This is a cause for mourning. Notice what we have here is not rebuke. There's no mentions of sin or idol worship, like we've seen with some prior Nevi'im, typically around Bayit Rishon. This is simply a dose of reality because we're dealing with a practical economic crisis that demands our deepest mourning. And we use such strong language, right? Similar to the, uh, what, we, what we read in Echa, or the Kinah that we read on Tisha B'Av, very strong language related to mourning. And then in verse 13, we completely shift gears. Says Yoel, here's what we have to do about it. We need to fast and pray. Everybody, the Kohanim, the Skenim, the inhabitants, this is a change that happens from the leadership down to the people. Chikru v'sibdu. We need to lament. Kadshutso, let's set a fast day. And then in chap, in verse 19, Elecha Hashem Ekra. This is a time of prayer. So let's go back to one of our unanswered contextual questions. Who is Yoel? And perhaps, if I can suggest, the question of who and when Yoel lived is actually not important. The text is intentionally vague because what Yoel is telling us is actually intentionally timeless. What Yoel teaches us is that the inflictor is he who can heal. Hashem is the one who is bringing this infliction upon us for various reasons. And Hashem is the one who can heal. And it's similar, it's reminiscent of what we say every day in Vahayatim Shamoah. There's that same cause and effect of our actions and what transpires. And much like here, that we say, Aleha, we say in Shema, and we pray to Hashem. And perhaps this is why many communities will read a portion of Sefer Yoel. In fact, it's the next chapter on the Haftarah of Shabbat Shuvah. Wishing you all a great day.